You're listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast. With Sandy Almendares, Director of Content. Hi, and welcome to a Healthy Insider Podcast. I am Sandy in the Phoenix office, and on the phone, I am joined by... Dr. Daniel Fabricant, who is the CEO and president of the Natural Products Association. Hi, Dan. Hi, Sandy. How are you today? Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are going to talk a little bit of the state of the industry and where we sit in 2019 as we close out the year. So I really appreciate you joining me today. Always good to be with you. Always. So there has been a bit of disagreement about the trade or, among the trade organizations, to put it lightly, on several key topics affecting the supplement and functional food industry. So Dan, in your opinion, why is it important for businesses in this space to be informed on each trade association stance and the policies that they are pushing at FDA or among legislators? I think there's a few reasons, Sandy, but I think, you know, you, you, you're always going to have diversity of opinion, and I think that that's good. I think that makes for better, that makes for a better industry, frankly speaking. I think if everybody's, if everybody's thinking the same thing, then maybe, you know, one of those people isn't necessary, right? Um, you know, we want diversity of opinion, and if we look across other industries, other FDA-regulated industries especially, there are multiple organizations, so, um, you know, because they have different, you know, different niches, Um you know, the folks that really represent the branded pharma folks aren't the folks that represent the generic pharma folks and so on. And so, you know, our industry is so diverse and growing every day. Um, we here, you know, at NPA, we're the oldest and largest. We like that diversity of opinion. We think it's important. We think it makes for good dialogue. And we think, you know, um, we once we set a direction, we certainly go full speed at it. But we don't, you know, we're not conflicted by people having different opinions um, on on different subjects and how to approach them. I think I also think what happens is I think people are really trying to show value these days. And so if somebody else is faster, um, for example, on the CBD thing, I mean, we started writing Scott Gottlieb back in October last year before any of the other associations did. Um, and I think that because we were so far out of the gate, I think folks felt like they may maybe needed to take a different tact, a different opinion to show value, because otherwise it was like, oh, we're just riding on their coattails. And so that's unfortunate, but I do think that that does motivate people sometimes to kind of make some of these decisions, and, and it is what it is. Great. Well, you brought up CBD, so I'll just keep on that path. Um, sure. And we're going to discuss, or I'm going to ask you several things that uh, are causing uh, a dif difference of opinion among the trade organizations. Um, so sure. for MPA and for you, what is the best way to get a legal path to the market for CBD? I think the best way, the quickest way, I think ultimately you end up in notice and comment rulemaking with FDA. Uh, we understand that, and they're going to they're gonna want to go through that. Um, I think the biggest challenge, if we look at holistically food and drug law, um, drugs have to be demonstrated to be safe. Foods are generally believed to be safe. Okay, so we throw on the table CBD, which was a drug first. Um, so we've got a drug out there. Drugs have side effects. So now that doesn't mean there's a level there which it doesn't have a side effect, but as a drug, it has a side effect. People need medicines to live. They'll deal with side effects for foods, dietary supplements. You know, we eat, we eat an apple, Sandy. We don't expect to have any sort of side effect, right? Um, same thing with a dietary supplement. So really, there's got to be a safe level at which holistically that 
you know, adults who consume and healthy adults, um, there's not going to be any sort of side effects. And CBD is an active. It's, it is psychoactive. It works on the CNS. It's not psychoactive like THC, but it does work on the central nervous system. So there are there is a bio, you know there's a pharmacological effect, and at a lower dose, uh, there's a biological effect or physiological effect, and that's where we want to get to. Um, and this isn't a new concept. Similar, you know, you've heard me talk about red yeast rice. Red yeast rice has the statin Mevacor monoclonal K in it. Um, both the drug and red yeast rice with a small level of monoclonal K exist on the market. How? Because HH, you know, FDA has set an HHE or health hazard evaluation. People don't like that term, but that's just semantics. And that level, though, differentiates between, okay, at that level, we know there's not, there's virtually little to no risk of any sort of side effect. Um, and I think that's really the only way you can differentiate the two. I think if you try to, as an industry who's always under attack for being, for not, you know, our critics, what do they say about a sanity? They say, you guys aren't safe, you guys don't want regulation. I think for us to attack this from a legal standpoint and not lead with safety, I think really puts puts a lot of us on the hot seat. Um, I think that's a bad policy position. You know, you look at the vaping crisis, um, and even this last week, I think Trump had a big summit, I think it was on the 22nd, and he said, look, if, if, we, if we completely obliterate the market, there's going to be black market products. People are going to be hurt. We're not going to get the legitimate players involved. I think similarly, I think there's a lot of parallels with CBD. I think the folks, a lot of the, the bigger companies in the industry have kind of sat out because of the uncertainty. Um, and I think how do you get those folks in the game? Well, the same way you get them in the game with any other ingredient, um, with good safety data, uh, with having the ability to say, hey, we're putting our foot forward in the right direction. We want to show consumers. We want that consumer confidence. Um, we want to show them it's safe beyond you know, a shadow of a doubt at a specific dose. And so I think that's really where we've got to attack it from. So you're saying the onus is on the brands to invest a lot of money, most likely, into safety studies, even though they're not sure that they will ultimately have a legal path to market. Well, I think that that's well. No, um, I think they will have a legal pathway. I think you're not going. The wine's that spilled, right? The, the product's out there already. I think you, with any ingredient, Sandy, there's always some uncertainty, right? When stevia came to the market, they had to do safety data before they put it in as a sweetener. Um, this is the, you know, for some reason, people seem to have some sort of amnesia. Maybe they need ginkgo instead of CBD. But, you know, you always have to show, you have to demonstrate for something that's new to the diet, which I think there's a big argument that CBD is new to the diet. Um, people didn't, you know, I think people went to college, but they weren't, you know, experimenting with, with hemp uh, for its CBD properties, if you will. So the, the notion that it's not new to the diet is a little bit a little bit disingenuous. So if we take the premise it's new to the diet, like anything else that's new to the diet, yes, we have to invest in safety first. You have to have a reasonable expectation of safety. That's that's a part and parcel, one of the biggest pieces of Deshea that we all you know are, are celebrating in 25 years. And it's interesting that uh, folks kind of want to cut counter to that. Like, hey, that law has applied, and we've used that whenever we've been under attack. Like, hey, um, new ingredients have have a safety process. They have to be notified. And now all of a sudden we're going to go, ah, except for hemp. It seems a little bit, I think that's dangerous. I think that's a dangerous policy position to take. So let's move on to another uh, thing causing controversy, I should say. Um, so does MPA believe in a mandatory dietary supplement product registry? Uh, and would this be beneficial to the industry? Ooh, believing. Sounds like we're, this is getting religious on this thing. Now, um, I think... <laughs> I think where we are, I don't think we're opposed to it. I think anything mandatory, any new statutory aspect, 
we got to go, what are, what are we doing? What, what, what's the actual goal? Um, I don't think anyone knows what FDA's goal is on product listing. They've kind of danced around it. When we had Steve Tave and Lowell Schiller out at the Big Natural here in D.C. in September, they both mentioned that they really want to use it for spike supplements. And that was the first time I think that's ever been really said aloud. It was always, well, we don't know what we don't know. Kind of, you know, that's kind of a little bit, it's not, a, that's not a strong committed statement, but they both said, okay, you know, we really think this is appropriate. And, and you know, I'd love to hear them, you know, maybe, maybe your next call is to them, because I think that that's a discussion that needs to be had. If it's to get to bike supplements, I think there are better tools. I think FDA has better tools. I think holding products as foods instead of drugs and using the food authorities like mandatory recall, like administrative detention that they don't have on the drug side, I think those could go a long, a long, long way in resolving some of the issues with, with spike supplements. But with all that aside, we need to really flesh out what is it they want, and then what is it we want? Why are people negotiating with ourselves? Um, also, and we just saw it you know, this week with this Florida case, um, why are we getting pieced apart by the state still? 25 years after Deshea, Deshea is really good federal law. Safety records of dietary supplements are very well intact. Consumer confidence has grown. Um, why is it then that the state cases every year go up and up and up? And I think a big part of it is we as the industry, you know, uh, trade associations, industry representatives, it's time really to get serious and go, look, I think it's really a better system to have one set of good laws than having 51 set, you know, 51 sets of laws that are, you know, it, it, once you cross a state line, you've got a whole different, you know, really a whole different level of responsibility. Most, m much of it, like California, like Prop 65, has nothing to do with human health, nothing to do with protecting public health, protecting the consumer. It's just really there for the plane of spar. So I think as an industry, we need to get serious on that before we really talk about adding any new federal authority. Are we going to be able to have one set of federal authorities um, versus 51? Uh, we, we, you know, in GMO, which was, I mean, GMO was uh, all over the place, you know, until two years ago, right? You remember those discussions, Sandy. People were like, that was a visceral reaction people had to GMO, um, but they preempted the states on, on GMO when they passed the federal legislation. Similarly, if we're going to do something new here, I think we've got to have some sort of preemption into, okay, if people are required to submit their label or a listing to the FDA, that can't be that information can't be used by the states or by the plaintiff's bar for for a lawsuit. We can't be, you know, there can't be a double jeopardy type standard. So I think there's a lot more discussion of that that needs to be had. I think people want to do something. I think some of them have an interest because they've either invested in a similar product um, and they want to see that come to light. Or people just like to, you know, they like validation on their ideas, right, Sandy? I mean, everybody likes that. So I think it's just a matter of really looking at it from a more holistic viewpoint than just, hey, um, somebody feels like we have to do something on this is what actually serves the industry as a whole. Interesting. So going back to that whole 51 uh, different uh, laws to, to follow, are, do you think we should have a new law that, or something that is federally that you know says that the, the states cannot regulate supplements on their own or well we've done that sandy like i mean when we passed i mean i'm, I'm i know I, I look young but i i'm much older than that a lot of gray hair these days sandy but like when we passed you know and and the other trades worked together on uh, the adverse event reporting law uh, back in 2006 one of the key features of that was preempting the states so states couldn't use AERs or more to the point misuse AERs and say, hey, the presence of AERs means that you're you're a bad guy, you're a bad actor. 
Similarly, something like this, where it's ministerial, where there's going to be ministerial requirements of filing something with the agency, um, the devil's always in the details. So I think we want to at least have similar features to some of these other laws we've passed that are very, very they, – they've been – They've been great for the industry. Um, I think having the same system as, as over-the-counter drugs and, and RX drugs and devices and biologics in, in MedWatch has been very, um, very helpful for, for the dietary supplement industry. I think it's it's um, really been you know an incredibly useful tool. So I think if, if we want the tool to be useful, we should have some of the same features. Okay, that makes sense. So do you think it's important for the industry trade groups to find consensus on major issues? Sometimes, and I think there's more consensus than there's not. I think people, again, I think economically they want to stand apart. Um, so I, I think that's a bigger driver to some of the dialogue than anything. I mean, I think overall all the groups are trying to, you know, promote the industry, push it forward. Um, and again, I think that the notion that there's all there's there's not diversity of opinions or diversity of ideas. The, the, the lack, I mean. Not embracing diversity of ideas. Um, I can get why people sometimes don't like other people's opinions. That's, you know, we've all been there, I think. Um, you know, we all have good days and bad days, right? Um, but but the diversity of ideas, I think that's where folks, um, I think that, you know, especially in NPA, I mean, we're, we're, we've got, you know, over 700 members representing 10,000 storefronts in, in the United States. It's a lot of, lot of ideas. Uh, we want those ideas. We want those different ideas. That's how we make, you know, kind of the base stronger. That's how we... You know, we make our values stronger, our core values, and that good, good, measurable goals off of that. So I, you know, I don't feel like, I mean, I don't feel like it's it's any, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of more noise in the system than anything. And like I said, I think it may be for some folks. It's a competitive business environment right now, and, and so I think folks are looking at ways to, to stand out. Um, you know, which is it's kind of the marketing craze these days anyway, right? As everything is. You just make it a little more hyperbolic versus talking about and showing the, the value. Um, you just make kind of the argument more hyperbole based, and so I think it, it's I think it comes from some of that. So you've mentioned Deshay a couple of times, Deshaya as you call it. Um, how has the relationship between FDA and the supplement industry evolved since the passage of Deshay 25 years ago? Well, now there's a there's a loaded question if I ever heard one, Sandy. No, um, I, I think it's you know. I think it's it's varied. Um, you know, certainly, and in, in I'll be, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to harp on my time at the agency too much because some people say that was a good thing for the industry. Other people uh, had a very different opinion. Uh, I think, look, I think the, the the tools are there. I think initially, folks, as they always, as people always are, when there's something new, I think there's like resistance. It's like, oh, we have to do this. Um, as whereas now, as I think that. The, I think the agency likes doing dietary supplement GMP inspections. I think the industry likes having, um, to the extent you like having an inspector in your facility, I think the, the, the companies that are doing it right, they, they appreciate that FDA is coming to visit them. It, it, gives, them, um, it gives them peace of mind. So are there things that, that can be improved? Sure. Um, I think the industry, and I've said this recently, I think we need to kind of have a goal in terms of how we keep the agency accountable on some things. Um, you know, some things bother our membership specifically, like the NDI provisions. We've had members spend a lot of money on NDIs, um, rightfully so. That's required by law. But the second they go to market and announce that they've got an AKL letter, a good day letter from the agency on the NDI, they get knocked off by a competitor, um, and usually for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And so how do they compete? They just spend all this money in science to, to do the right thing, to do the legal thing. 
and there are companies out there that that don't, and yet they get treated the same way. I mean, that's those are some of the breakdowns I think people should be more concerned that, about than anything, because um, that's that really signals to people that there's no consequences for you know really basic pillars of the law that that we have to you know for consumer confidence we have to take care of. Um, I mean, those are the areas where we want to see uh, a stronger relationship with the agency. Um, use, you know, if they're foreign imported products in that instance, in the NDI instance, use the import alerts. There hasn't been an import alert, Sandy, since I was at the agency almost six years ago on dietary supplements. Um, so that's a little bit, not, I'm not saying that there's been this rash of imports that are somehow going to damage people at the same time. You know, if we just look at the food industry, um, there are, for better or worse, food. Sometimes you get contamination with microbacteria, you know, with uh, with E. coli, with salmonella. Uh, I'm pretty sure that happens across the board. And so the fact there hasn't been something in that regard, um, on some level, that, that keeps me up at night. Um, and so we want to see stronger enforcement there. We want to see an you know an evolution of the discussion on GMPs. And then I think a big piece is claims. Um, the claims process has to be, I think. I think there's got to be a better way for us to get health claims and qualified health claims. You know, since since Enley and Deshea, there's only been you know there's been eight full health claims and 14 qualified health claims on foods and dietary supplements. We're you know we're different from every other country in the world in that we have the First Amendment, we have freedom of speech, and commercial speech is protected speech. And yet there's all these studies every year. You know, you go to clinicaltrials.gov and you see more and more studies. You guys report and, and rightfully so on all these great studies that are going on. But our ability to communicate some of those, especially as it comes to you know risk reduction of disease, is really very um, it's very wonky, um, very limiting. And so I think we really want to look at that too, and how we can work with the government to um, really keep that that information one up to date, but two more robust. Consumers want that information, so how do we how do we give that to them um, in in a responsible manner? Interesting. Thank you for that. Now I'm going to ask you about something that's very current. Does the impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump impact CBD or general sub supplement legislation? Wait, there's an impeachment? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's all over your streets. Uh, it, it, is, it is. And it is. Yeah, I mean, and we're right across. We're a block from the Senate. So it's um, – it's a weird time, Sandy. It really is. It's unfortunate because it is. It's kind of just everything's ground to a halt. Um, and it's, you know, I think there's frustration growing around the country. Like, hey, I, I elected these folks, and they're not, um, they're not doing their job. They're not even passing a budget. I mean, at, at a minimum, it's like, look, I, you and I can't. Um, hey, um, you know, I'm really mad at my neighbor. I'm going to try to, you know try him for impeachment, so I'm not going to pay my mortgage for a year. I mean, you can't do that, right? So I think people are a little bit frustrated at that. Um, and I think with things so polarized, it's it's really the dialogue. It's very tough to get – it's really tough to to get people to focus on anything other than the whole impeachment circus, if you will. Um, so it's an interesting time. Um, it's it not, not necessarily for the better, but uh, – and we'll see, especially – and there are big issues, Sandy, we have to deal with. I mean, there's – there's still tariffs on the table we have to deal with. USMCA is, is affects our industry significantly, especially the folks on the, you know, the, the, anything tied to dairy, milk production, whey protein, things like that. I mean, those are really good for our industry in terms of exports, in terms of, you know, a favorable trade balance. And, and you know, we're stuck on talking about, you know, uh, really what's going to amount to, I don't think, anything. Um, 
because they'll vote to impeach him in the House and in the Senate. It looks like right now, at least the numbers, there, there's no way possible they'll get a supermajority, a two-thirds majority in the Senate to impeach him. So it just seems like it's a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. We've been doing other things, things that are good for this country. Um, dealing with kind of what's going on with CBD and hemp, dealing with, uh, you saw last week what we were pushing the IRS on to try to get expansion of FSAs and HSAs to include supplements. You know, over 70% of the population uses supplements, yet you can't use your FSA and HSA, which your employers fund um, to buy supplements. It's your money. It's a little weird. Um, you can, you know, on your 401k, you can buy really bad financial products, and as long as they meet the definition of what's reimbursable, it's fine. You get, you know, you get uh, the tax, you know, tax deferred. We want, we think that makes a lot of sense. People have already voted, um, and all the user surveys show that supplement users, by and large, are generally have better health outcomes. So why why wouldn't we reward that kind of behavior? So we really want to get back to business, um, kind of normal business instead of all this, you know, it's almost like a football game, right? It's like you're either on one side or another and, and the other side is, def you definitely want to beat the other side. So it's unfortunate, but it's it's where we are. All right. Well, it sounds like MPA is not just sitting and waiting around. So that's, that's good on that front, but um, yes, it is unfortunate. We looked at this Congress and we said, okay, we're going to have a problem. What are we going to be able to do? And we have and, and we have done well legislatively this year. I mean, we did get the CBD amendment out of the House, um, you know, but if we don't have an appropriations, if we don't have a funding, that, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to go anywhere. So, But we were grateful to get, a, you know, something that actually had force of law in it in, in an amendment, um, which, I mean, it's always interesting to hear people talk about the process, think they understand the process. Um, but we understood legislatively, especially on the, getting the FSA, HSA savings reimbursement, we were not going to be able to get that through both both the House and the Senate. So what could we do? And it's interesting. We have both sides of the aisle. Kristen Sinema, who's your senator, um, and I know you, you've – I think you did, what, a triathlon with her or a bike ride with her or something like that? <laughs> I've done several. I love her. Right. Yeah, I mean, she wrote – she signed on to the letter along with Tim Scott, and they're from different sides of the aisle – but, you know, they both see the value in it. So it's interesting. If we tried to do it legislatively, they probably would have, you know, split among party lines. But the fact we were doing it kind of, you know, in, in an administrative manner and we felt like, and we may be wrong, we don't think we are, but we think administratively they can make these changes and, and it's, it's good for all of us. And so it, it was, it's kind of cool to see them work together and, and uh, get, you know, uh, everyone's kind of rallying around the campfire um, so long as it isn't talking about impeachment, right? Right. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for joining me today for this podcast. I know it's a very busy time of year, so I, I do appreciate you taking the time. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. This edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast is brought to you by Supply Side West, 